All right. Hey, everyone. Uh, Kyle, just following up with what John said, we're going to be continuing on in our sermon series in Galatians. Today, we're going to be in Galatians 5, verses 1 through 15. And the title for today's sermon is Legalism and Liberty. In our text, we will see that by God's grace to us, through our faith in Jesus, we are set free from religious, lib- or religious legalism and set free to exercise our faith through love. So let me say that again. By God's grace to us, through our faith in Jesus, we are set free from religious legalism and set free to exercise our faith through love. So let's read our text together. Galatians 5, 1 through 15. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour each other, watch out that you are not consumed by each other. These are the very words of God. So last fall, uh, an elementary school in Florida had a college colors day in which they encouraged their students to wear the colors or the apparel of their favorite college teams. One boy in particular harbored a great love for the University of Tennessee volunteers. There's just one problem. He didn't own any of their apparel. So the boy decided to innovate. He found a piece of paper, and he drew a logo on it, a UT, University of Tennessee, logo, and then he pinned the paper to an orange shirt and wore it to school. When the boy went to school, he was met by his teacher, who was excited for him and and very encouraged and impressed with his creativity. But unfortunately, in the cafeteria that day, the boy was led to tears by his schoolmates, who were making fun of him for his do-it-yourself shirt. The boy... Uh, was devastated, according to the teacher. And the teacher decided to post this story on Facebook and ask her friends for help acquiring some apparel or official UT apparel for the boy. Well, this post went viral amongst UT students and alumni, and the school responded by sending the fourth grader a a care package just full of UT gear. Then the University of Tennessee printed the boy's design on T-shirts sold those t-shirts, and donated the profits to an anti-bullying organization. 
And it doesn't stop there, though that is really heartwarming when you hear it. But the school went further. They offered the boy a full four-year scholarship to the University of Tennessee to be or to start in fall of 2028. Can you believe that? I mean, does that warm your heart? Does it make you a UT fan? I, I tell you what, one boy's hard day at a significantly or I should say maybe a seemingly insignificant elementary school led to the school of his dreams literally clothing him and adopting him into their community. You could say the school justified him. That story, it was picked up by major news outlets all over the country. It warmed the hearts of America. And why? Because we love redemption stories. We love justification. But what would happen, what would have happened if the school, after giving the boy those gifts, then required the boy to pay them back? What if the boy didn't think he was worthy of the gifts, and so he went and dropped out of elementary school and got a job so that he could pay the school back? We wouldn't really like that story. It would have no longer held the beauty of grace and love. And thankfully, that wasn't the case. But it is the case with the church in Galatia. Paul was dealing with Galatia's own set of cafeteria problems, namely legalism. You see, legalism is defined as attaching behaviors or disciplines uh, to our faith, adding them to our faith in order to achieve salvation or right standing before God. Not long after the gospel took roots in Galatia, a controversy arose around the family table. A group in the Bible known as the Judaizers was spreading a message that Jews and Gentiles needed to be separate until the Gentiles took upon themselves the legal code of Moses, namely circumcision. Or in other words, to really really become a part of God's covenant people, God's family, the Gentiles were being told that they had to become Jewish, and they were not to integrate with Jewish believers until they did so. But the message of legal conformity was not the gospel. In fact, it was damnable before God, and Paul knew it. And he couldn't believe that after beginning so well, the Galatians, the Galatians were beginning to submit to heresy. You see, Paul knew Galatia or the church in Galatia started well because he planted the church. He preached the gospel to them. And the Galatians, they were Gentiles, non-Jewish. They were sinners. They had no experience with Israel's God or his laws. They were as ritually as unclean as you get. And many God-fearing Jews would not even enter their houses. The term Gentile was often an insult in Jewish families. Gentiles were equated with dogs. And yet before Paul's eyes, through the true gospel, God made faith come alive in the hearts of the Gentile hearers. And they trusted in Jesus and his message. And through this, the Gentile Galatians were set free from their bondage to sin. They were set free from their idols and they were adopted into God's family. God clothed the Galatians with the righteousness of Jesus and filled them with his spirit, that they would be his people and he would be their God. And guess what? God gave them an inheritance that was far better than a four-year scholarship. God justified the Gentiles by his grace to them through faith in Christ. And God placed no requirement on that gift. It was simply given by his grace. 
And yet now the Galatians were being told that to gain the treasures they've already received, to really be a part of God's family, they needed to do works of the law. Just as if the boy in our story had to pay the school back, the Galatians were being told that now to earn their spot at the table, they had to do work. Faith in Jesus' work wasn't enough to justify them before God, so they were told. Specifically, the Galatian men needed to be circumcised. And if you're an uncircumcised male, uh, that's kind of a roadblock. Paul made clear throughout this letter that if the Jews or Gentiles submit to the false claims of legalism, then they are no longer experiencing the freedom and justification gained from Christ. Rather, they are enslaving themselves to a yoke or a law that they cannot keep and they will not be justified by God on the day of his judgment. You see, in verses 1 through 3, Paul tells them, Stand firm. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. For if they accept circumcision, then Christ is of no advantage. Rather, the Gentiles will be obligated to obey the whole law, and it was a law that was not meant to justify them. That's legalism, not freedom. It's a type of living that says, by my own works, I'll justify myself before God. Legalism lends itself to believing that you really don't need Christ or that Christ started the work, but you got to finish it. Paul's response to this attitude in verse 4 is that if you believe this, you are severed or cut off from Christ and are fallen away from grace. Paul knows that righteousness or covenant faithfulness to God is not found in ourselves. We cannot work for it. Rather, as verse 5 points out, through the Spirit, by faith, we wait for it to be produced in us as it's already been pronounced over us. God has said something true about us, that through faith in his Son, we are counted righteous. And through his Spirit, he is forming that righteousness in us by the process of sanctification. We don't go to work to be righteous and justified before God. God's already said it's true and is working in us to bring it to life. In Christ Jesus, who is the head of the family of God, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised, Jewish law-abiding citizen or Gentile. The only thing that counts is faith working itself through love. It's not a work to obtain something, but a faith working in response to something. You see, in our story earlier, we sneer at the idea of a school requiring the boy to pay back their gifts. But if that boy, in response to the love given by the school, works hard and gets good grades, maybe shares his story with others and, and shares the love that was shown to him, he's no longer operating to earn something from himself. Rather, that boy would be responding to the love he's received. That's the same with our father. We don't need to go to work to earn the gifts God's freely given us. We'd never be able to produce the work needed to justify ourselves before God. If we receive through faith his free gift of grace and through that experience begin working, through the power of his spirit to kill sin, to be holy, to make God known, not to earn something from God, but in response to the treasures he's given us, if we do that, we're not enslaved. Rather, we're operating in freedom. 
This was how the church of Galatia began. Paul says in verse 7, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This legalistic gospel cut in on the Galatians while they were running their race. And it was trying to steer them away from Christ and back into slavery. Paul says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. This was an expression that a small amount of leaven could spread through a large bat of dough. This was an expression that a small amount of heresy, or this expression shows that a small amount of heresy could spread throughout the whole church. For Galatia, this heresy was legalism. The Galatians will not bend to this false teaching if they are trusting in the gospel. And Paul is hopeful and confident that God will take care of his people. He's confident that they won't bend to this false teaching. And so he says that he's confident. To the Jews, some were saying, uh, furthermore, that Paul was preaching circumcision as a requirement. Uh, Even though God was confident that the Galatians wouldn't bend to this, he also addresses the fact that among the Galatians, he's being accused of preaching circumcision outside of Gentile churches. So you could say, Uh, those who oppose Paul um, were telling the Galatians and other Gentiles, look, Paul's just trying to make it easy for you. He's trying to tickle your ears. When he's among Jews, he preaches that circumcision is a requirement. But Paul says if that's the case, if he's preaching circumcision when the Gentiles aren't around, why, when everywhere he goes, he's being persecuted by the Jews? And if Paul was preaching that people could earn their salvation, Paul says then the offense of the cross of Christ would be removed. In other words, Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection would be pointless. And this false teaching, this accusation against Paul, infuriates him. So much so that Paul says for those who are spreading this message, that they shouldn't just simply stop with circumcision. They should go all the way and castrate themselves. Legalism, the earn your keep, pick yourself up by the bootstraps way of life, is not in step with what God has done. Rather, it's evil, it's vile and damning. And Paul, his, his sarcastic use of castration, it's born out of a deep, righteous anger. For he knew that the message that was spreading, it was a message that would cut people off from God. Now, You might say, okay, what does this have to do with us today? The church doesn't have internal arguments about circumcision, or at least not anymore. I mean, I don't know who's circumcised and who's not, and I really, no one cares to look. But throughout church history, the bride of Christ has had to fight against legalistic infiltration, meaning that even today, the church is being tested to count human works as necessary for salvation and justification. In other words, we're being tempted to think that we have to earn our place in the family. This is looked differently throughout church history. In Paul's day, it was circumcision. Today, it might look like trying to earn your salvation through adherence to certain customs or practices. Maybe you believe that dressing a certain way or abstaining from alcohol or being baptized in a certain way at a certain age or maybe serving a number of people, or maybe just going to church on Sunday. Maybe you believe that doing these things will earn you favor or a spot at God's table, but they won't. What gives you a seat at God's table and proves his endless acceptance and love for you 
is simply his grace toward you through the gift of faith in Christ. It's not on behalf of your good works. You can't earn it. It's his grace. Now, the follow-up conversation might be, okay, so legalism is bad. I'm accepted on no part of myself, but on God's grace to me in Jesus. Am I now at liberty to go and live however I please, simply because I believe in Jesus? Can I use my freedom purchased in Christ to live however I choose? This conversation revolves around Christian liberty, or the liberty of those in Christ. Now, Paul, understanding that this may result in questions over freedom and legalism, addresses this in our text in verses 13 through 15. Paul states that we were called to be free, only not to use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You see, through or though, excuse me, though we are counted righteous, we have a sinful nature that's alive and well, and will war, that sinful nature will war against the spirit within us. A person still desiring their sin will hear the message of freedom in Christ and try to bend it to justify their sinful behavior. They'll say, well, Christ died for me, I'm free, so I can live however I want and no one can judge me. In our culture, this might be exemplified in, in greed, someone living a greedy lifestyle, or, or maybe drunkenness, or maybe homosexuality, or adultery. It's exemplified when we accept those things as okay behavior for the bride of Christ. And this attitude doesn't stop there. It could be exemplified in libertarian ideals that a person might say, I don't need the church or I don't need and I'm, I'm under no obligation to be submissive to others. No one can control me or have authority over me. This type of response, this uh, liberty response is not freedom. It's idolatry. It's evidence, or it's evidence of continued slavery. What I mean is that when people hear the truth of the gospel and then try to justify their sinful behavior, they're willingly placing chains on themselves and then selling themselves as slaves to sin and the powers behind it. They are no different than those trapped in legalism. That is not the freedom Christ purchased for us. Rather, the freedom Christ purchased for us is demonstrated when through love, we serve one another. In a paradox, Christ has set us free from the obligations of the law that we may now truly obey it in love. We don't obey it to earn anything. We've received everything. But we obey it in response to the love of God toward us. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. But it is, it is a faith that is never alone. It's accompanied by acts of love and obedience to the Spirit of God. Now, lastly, in verse 15, Paul says that if we bite and devour each other, we need to watch out or we'll be consumed by each other. Legalism and liberty have always been debates in the church. What's been normative, especially in modern Christianity, is that a group of believers will get together and they'll gather and agree to, um, to pursue holiness, to abstain from certain things that might tempt them away from Jesus or draw them away from Jesus. So maybe the group of believers decide together that they're going to abstain from alcohol. Or maybe they're not going to wear a certain type of clothing or 
they'll avoid certain types of events, or maybe they'll just honor a weekly Sabbath. Now, not all of those things are born out of impure motives, but sometimes they do have pure motives. But even, even though they might have pure motives, over time, those things can evolve into a cultural norm. And those things can then be used, by, used as merits by which people try to just, justify themselves before God. Some people might say, look, I do A, B, and C, and I don't do X, Y, and Z, and therefore I'm justified by God. And what tends to happen then is in a response to this, their children or, or maybe other camps in Christianity will start reading their Bible and then look at this and say, that's legalism, not Christian liberty. And the danger there is the pendulum will slide to the complete other side and those people will rush out and get all their tattoos and fill their liquor, liquor cabinets and listen to secular music and live a rebellious zeal for Christ. They'll live a rebellious, zealous Christian liberty. Now, this, this scenario is played out. Uh, it was played out in the 1970s in the Jesus movement in certain camps. And one could even argue that in the 2000s new Calvinist movement, there was this Christian liberty response toward uh, or against legalism. But you see, when we, when we do those things, that zealous response of, of liberty is not born out of love. And it doesn't count for anything. It's in Christ, it's faith in Christ working itself through love for each other that actually counts. It's love toward our neighbor that fulfills the law. When we love our neighbors, even if they don't conform to the same rules as us, or even if they have rules that we think is kind of legalistic, and you know maybe we think they might be living a legalistic heresy, when we're not loving each other and we're not coming to the table together to discuss these things, to share the gospel with each other that we might point each other to Christ, if we're not doing that, then we're not living out of the freedom that Christ has purchased for us. For the freedom that Christ has purchased for us is a freedom that allows us to love our neighbors. Freedom that allows us to love our neighbors. Now, you may find yourself wrestling with legalism. You may have been trapped into believing that you need to justify your place at the table with God or your, your place within God's family. The good news for you is that your place is secure by Christ's work alone. No amount of religious legalism could ever get you there or keep you there. Only God's grace toward you. And so if you find yourself accepting a false gospel of legalism, would you repent of trusting in yourself and accept the truth of the gospel today, that it's Christ's works that keep you in the table or keep you at the table. It's God's grace toward you through faith in Christ that your seat is solidified. Now, if, if you feel that in your heart you just can't believe this or you're unwilling, would you ask God to make you willing? He will. For others, you may find yourself operating in what we call licentiousness. Maybe you've seen the gospel as a license to continue living in sin or entertaining sinful thoughts and desires. Look, Christ did not purchase for you a license to sin. He purchased for you a license not to. Christ loves us too much to leave us in slavery. He has released us from our bondage that we may love him with our whole heart and love our neighbors. If you find yourself justifying your sin with the freedom given in Christ, I ask you to turn from that lie. 
Repent. Begin to walk in step with the gospel by the power of the Spirit. Not to earn your salvation, but rather to live the life Christ purchased for you and calls you to. My prayer for us as a church is that we would be shaped by the truth of the gospel. That we are saved not by our works. We are kept in the family not by our works. It's by the works of Christ alone. We do not need to try to earn our way there. Christ already paid the price. And God's grace to us keeps us there through faith. So may we be set free from our legalism. May we be saved from our licentiousness. And may we trust in Christ and receive our place at the table. And may we receive the promise of the inheritance to come. I love you, Pillar, and I pray that this will be true for you today. Thank you. Alrighty, church family. Well, I am joined by Landon, uh, Landon Jostis today. He's going to just be here to answer questions, go back and forth and have a discussion over the text in hopes that you with your family or with your MC can answer the same questions and, and it just can harbor a good discussion. So Landon, can you, how long have you been going to Pillar? I've been going to Pillar for almost three years now. It's a, pretty much as soon as I got an island, I started coming to Pillar and I've loved it ever since. And I'm glad for this time off so that I can actually develop friendships and um, to really pour into the church. Absolutely. And to be honest, Landon, we, we met up probably, started going to Pillar around the same time. And I've just been encouraged by walking or walking alongside you just as a friend and as a brother and you walking alongside me and just seeing your just love for Christ uh, continue to grow, um, seeing your service to the church. And, and honestly, it's been really cool seeing you now as a married man. Uh, he just recently got married. But yeah, it was, a, it was a privilege and an honor that you would agree to come out and do this video with me today. So thank you. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Um, just going off the discussion that we had earlier, that the sermon, I want to ask Landon a few questions, and then Landon will ask me a few questions. But So the first question I have, Landon, how have you seen the legalism-liberty divide in your life? How did it play out? What does your heart gravitate more toward? How does the gospel answer it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... I've seen that play out like through conversations over the years of uh, like Bible studies and men's groups I've been with. And um, it seems like uh, I tend to lean towards the legalism side because when I hear of um, other guys that tend to uh, enjoy in the party scene with the drinking and, and everything that's involved with that, that party life, that uh, I tend to, um, and they, they tend to have that liberty thinking that they can do this because they're going to be forgiven for, for their sins. and. Sure. And for me, like I'm more on the legalistic side, so I, I, I see them, and I, in my in my own like pride and and thinking that I'm more spiritual, that I, I can judge them for for mm-hmm. their behavior. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's what your heart gravitates more toward, and mm-hmm. and where where does the gospel come in for you? Uh, and the gospel comes in really from, uh, just like in the in the time spent in, in the Word and and through fellowship, like through like the, our friendship together and like the meetings that we've come up and just that reminder that I'm also a sinner. I'm just as much as a sinner as them. It comes out in different ways, thinking that I have to like earn my way um, yeah. to Christ. So it's just a reminder that I'm a sinner, loved by God, saved by His grace. Amen. And I think, yeah, all of us probably exist somewhere in the legalism, liberty divide and and just recognizing it, maybe sitting there in prayer and just uh, pushing into God to say, all right, God, how does the gospel answer this? Because my my heart just is drawing me away from it. So that was really good. Um, in the sermon, I, I tell a story about a little boy who was really blessed by the University of Tennessee. 
Um, I also told an alternative version of that story and in where he had to pay back the gifts that he was given. So when you hear that, if that story were true, how would that make you feel? And in what ways do we adopt that mentality toward God? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in that alternate story, like it's, it's, it's kind of like a foolish thing because it's no longer a gift. It's something that I've earned or like something that I have to pay back and like wages that I have to like put towards this and it becomes a debt and it's no longer grace. Yeah. And so, yeah, especially with like all the resources that the university has, so like <laughs> yeah. all this like millions of dollars that they can. And so like this, this small thing that they did for the, for the, for the boy was like this huge in his life. It was everything. Mm-hmm. And it'd be like a petty thing to, to ask for that money back when it's, yeah, yeah. I'd be so mad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but absolutely. And, and I think, I think we do the same thing when, when we look back at God and think that we have to, we have to earn all the gifts that he's given us. Like I have to perform. He, he, those gifts aren't really mine. Let me go and make up for what's lacking or, or something. And, and yeah, just in the same way that you're like, hey, that would be petty of that school to do that. If God did that for us, it wouldn't be a gift of grace. Mm-hmm. Um, too cool. You have any questions for me? I do. Sweet. Yeah, so how do we as a family confront the abuse of Christian liberty and what does a gospel-shaped response look like? Yeah, I think, at least in my experience with our, with our culture, maybe it's my military culture, I don't know, it's, it's really easy for the abuses of Christian liberty to just like flourish. That idea of, hey, I'm saved, I believe in Jesus, now I'm going to go and do whatever I want, and I always have this inroad, you know, and God's going to save me anyways. And I think as a church, and especially as family members, like, we have the responsibility to go to our brothers and to expect that our brothers would come to us when we're engaging in that abuse, when we're living a lifestyle that's not in conformity with what God desires for his children. Like, we should step up and address that. And I, I think it first starts with, um, in our time alone with God or, or prayer, really doing some self-reflection. You know, Jesus says, if we have a log in our own eye, how dare we go and try to remove a speck out of someone else's eye? He says, first, take the log out of your eye, and then you can go and help them. And so I want to do just some, maybe some reflection, and maybe push into, the, into prayer and say, you know, God, if I have a blind spot, please reveal it to me. And if I'm not seeing this correctly in, in the life of someone else, please help me to see it correctly. And then if I have confidence that I still need to go and help and address this abuse of liberty, I, I'm going to trust the Spirit to go with me, and, and I'm going to go and have a private discussion with the person and bring it up. And I think that's bold and it's hard to do. It's not common behavior. Um, it's really gospel saturated behavior. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and maybe it, it's not received well, but I mean, that's the pattern that Jesus set up for us. And then from there, uh, hopefully there's, there's repentance and we can praise God that he worked in the person's life. And if not, Jesus provides us uh, just steps forward from that. But first I want to reflect in my own heart and I, w- I want to help my brother and I want to love them. So that's probably how I, I would confront the abuses of it. Yeah, because that's really like spawned from from the love that God has for us and the love that we have for each other. Like we don't want them to continue in, the, in sin, the hardened, hardened, like hardened heart and the deceitfulness of sin. Yeah. And so that's it's really exhorting one another to 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 like have that same love for others that we have for, that Christ has for us. Yeah, it should be expected. Like family members should be honest with one another. Mm-hmm. Like if my if my brother who God has given me in the flesh, my my literal brother is doing something that is hurting himself or is untrue about his position in the family, I, I want to go and talk to him and I want it to be received well. And even if it's not, like I love him enough to tell him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah.
And so, uh, Christ has set us free to love and serve one another. In what ways have you been loved and served by God's family? And how do you respond? Where do you see God using you and your MC in the lives of others? Yeah, I think that when I first came to Christ, I was received by God's family in a way that uh, didn't come with strings attached. There was no legalistic expectation for me that, okay, well, now that you have faith in Christ, you need to do X, Y, and Z to really make it true. Rather, they, people looked at me in my face and loved me despite my sin. Even though where I was in my process of sanctification was like barely dipping my toes in the kiddie pool, like they, they still loved me. Um, and so, yeah, I think I was received well by Christ's family uh, despite my sin and despite the fact I was a baby Christian. And then how I see that just playing out in MCs is MCs are really God's expressions locally of God's family. And so uh, my MC has just adopted me in. They love me even though I, I mess up. I, I don't always act the right way. Like I still have st- sinful tendencies and need to be purged, but they still love me and, they, and they're for me. And they preach the gospel to me in their words and actions, telling me who I am in Christ. And so I think that's how MCs can work together and really bless each other and how as the family of God we can do the same. Yeah, yeah, because that's really what a family is, is coming together, loving each other. And it's not out of like calling each other out for like all of our sins. It's, it's really through like the love and even like Paul says, it's through the loving kindness that leads us to repentance. Oh, amen. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Landon, thank you for uh, coming and joining me today. I hope you guys are blessed and encouraged, and I hope the discussion within your missional communities, within your families, just leads to the Holy Spirit bearing fruit in your life as you think upon the things in God's Word. Thanks, Pillar. See ya.